This talk is brought to you by the Thomistic Institute. For more talks like this, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. I'd like to begin with two quotations from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. These are paragraphs 2726 and uh, 2564. Christian prayer is the action of God and of man, springing forth from both the Holy Spirit and ourselves. And those who seek God by prayer are quickly discouraged because they do not know that prayer comes also from the Holy Spirit and not from themselves alone. You'll see why these are relevant in a few minutes. So the title of this evening's conference is The Mystery of Prayer. And what is a mystery? Properly speaking, a mystery is something that is hidden or unknown. Uh, So the title of the 1990s TV series Unsolved Mysteries was redundant because once a mystery is solved, it's no longer a mystery. (laughs) But typically, when we come to know something, we don't know it completely. And so even things that are partially known or clear to us remain mysteries in other respects. So we speak of the mysteries of nature, right? We know a lot about thunderstorms and uh, human skin cells and how gravity works, but there's a lot more that we don't know about these things, right? So they're mysteries still. We speak about human beings as mysteries. We can spend a lot of time with individual people. We can become friends with them. We may even marry them and still be surprised by them. And so people are mysteries. We also speak about supernatural mysteries. These are realities that God has told us about, but which remain in many ways beyond us. And so I'm proposing to you this evening that prayer is a mystery, uh, indeed a supernatural mystery. And so there's these two elements, right? There's something there's, that's clear to us, and there's something that's hidden to us about prayer. Uh, what's, what's manifest to us is that it is an act of our practical reason requesting good things from God. This is something that we can, we can you know, it's pretty apparent to us about what prayer is. And yet there's something hidden about prayer. And that is the workings of grace and the Holy Spirit in prayer. So St. Thomas Aquinas has far more to say about prayer than we could possibly discuss, right, in just the conferences that we have for this weekend. But for this evening, I'd like to introduce you primarily to certain elements of St. Thomas's teaching on prayer that have to do with this hidden and supernatural dimension, specifically what God is doing in prayer that we can't see. Because I think these are the most intriguing and encouraging insights that St. Thomas has about prayer. And in terms of the mysterious dimension of prayer, I'll focus first on prayer and divine providence, and second on divine inspiration and prayer. But the the mystical dimension of St. Thomas's teaching on prayer has some concrete implications. And so I'll spend some time also talking about the need for formation in prayer, as well as the spiritual freedom that we should have in prayer. I think these are uh, conclusions that we can draw from St. Thomas's teaching that are, that are quite practical. So first of all, prayer and divine providence. What is prayer? For St. Thomas, I already hinted at this, prayer is a petition of practical reason directed toward God. So St. Thomas observes that we have the power to reason both speculatively and practically. When we reason speculatively, we aim at knowing the truth. When we reason practically, we're aiming ultimately not at knowledge, but at operation. Practical reason is thinking about how to accomplish things. Sometimes when we're reasoning practically, we come across something that we want to do or accomplish, but we don't have the power to do it ourselves. 
And at these times, it's natural for us to turn to a superior and request that they do it for us. So if you're cooking dinner, but you can't reach the cinnamon on the top shelf, then you turn to your housemate, who is your superior in the order of vertical extension, and request that they retrieve for you the spice bar, the spice jar that you cannot receive yourself. Right? Unless you're Katie Bryzek, in which case you don't allow mundane things like your maximum natural apogee to get in the way of your dreams. <laughs> um, but as, as some of us know, and many of you will discover, what Katie lacks in height, she more than makes up for in wisdom and goodness and ingenuity. Um, but in any case, if you're in math class and you're doing fine until you hit ma matrix calculus, and this is coming from my own experience, you suddenly have no idea what you're doing. Then you turn to your teacher, who is your superior in the order of mathematical knowledge, and ask for help, hoping that they can indicate for you some reasoning or imaginative process that will clarify for you how matrix math works. So we're very accustomed to this particular process of practical reasoning. If we want to accomplish something but recognize it's not within our power, we naturally turn to a superior and request that they do it for us or help us to do it. Now, in quite a few cases, the good things that we desire to procure are not only beyond our own power, they're also beyond the scope of all created powers currently at our disposal. And in such cases, the human mind naturally turns to God who is the ultimate superior over all creation. And so we ask God to do for us what neither we nor anyone else can do. And so quite simply, as St. John Damascene says, prayer is the requesting of good things from God. And at this point, I should clarify, there are many acts that we think of as pertaining to prayer, like adoration and praise, listening and contemplation. And St. Thomas acknowledges, uh, he treats these in different places, but what he considers prayer to be properly speaking is a petition directed toward God. Right? So within what we take as prayer, generally speaking, St. Thomas focuses prayer is the petition. But does it make sense to ask God for things? In the uh, Summa Theologiae, question 83, article 2, in the Secunda Secundae, that's for you to find it if you want to look this up on your own. St. Thomas asks whether it is fitting to pray. And fittingness was an important concept in medieval theology. So when St. Thomas asks whether it's fitting to pray, he doesn't just mean, is it a good thing to pray? He's asking something a little more specific. What is the logic by which prayer makes sense in the extant order of divine providence? Or in other words, how does prayer fit within the divine economy? And it's important to ask this question because it's not Im immediately clear how prayer makes sense. In the body of the article, St. Thomas says that historically people have fallen into three different errors about prayer. The first error is a denial of divine providence altogether. So some people have thought that human affairs are not guided by God. And in this case, prayer would be useless, right? There's no point in praying to God if God doesn't guide things in our lives. Right, the second error, he says, is a denial of contingency, right? By attributing necessity to every event. If things are guided by God, it seems that things are going to happen the way they're going to happen. And there's no point trying to change that. Uh, and so again, prayer seems useless. And the third error is a denial of God's immutability. Some people have thought that God indeed directs history and that prayer is affected, effective, and so prayer must change God's mind. But of course, that can't be right, because God is unchangeable. So it seems like we're stuck. 
How can prayer be a reasonable act if God is unchanging? And I think St. Thomas understands that this is a really serious question that has for us existential weight. We really feel the weight of these objections. If you, if you spend enough time with them, uh, I think they do kind of, uh, they weigh on us. And the said contra, which is part of uh, the, the part of the article in the Summa where he usually quotes some authority and proof of his conclusion that he's going to give. In the said contra, in this article, St. Thomas quotes Jesus Christ, who commands in Luke 18, pray always and do not grow faint. So again, I think St. Thomas knows that we can experience doubts about the efficacy of prayer, and these doubts can cause us to grow faint. And so we need to be supported in faith by the word of the Lord, that in fact we ought to pray always, and that prayer does make a difference, and we shouldn't grow faint. But St. Thomas would not have been a good theologian if he only raised objections and then told us to have faith, but didn't provide any resolution, any rational account for prayer. And he resolves the issue in this way, and this is on your handout uh, if you want to follow along. St. Thomas says, It is necessary to consider that divine providence not only disposes what effects shall take place, but also by what causes and in what order they come forth. Moreover, among other causes, human acts are the causes of certain effects. Hence, it is necessary that human beings do certain things, not so that they might change the divine disposition by their acts, but so that through their acts they might fulfill certain effects according to the order disposed by God. And it is similar with respect to prayer, for we do not pray so that we might change the divine disposition, but so that we might impetrate that which God has disposed to be fulfilled through the prayers of the saints. So that, quote, human beings by asking might merit to receive that which the omnipotent God has disposed before all ages to give, as Gregory says in the Dialogues. So in other words, when we pray, we're not convincing God to do anything. We're asking God to do something. And what we don't see is that when God answers our prayers, it's not because he's finally given in to our demands. It's because he has always intended to give us that good thing in response to our prayer. Now you might say, what's the point in praying if God intends to give us good things? Well, simply put, if you don't pray, you don't get the good things that God would give you if you did pray for them. But this raises a deeper question. Why does God involve prayer at all in his providence? If God is so generous, why does he make our receiving good things contingent on our asking for them? St. Thomas puts the objection in this way. It is more liberal to give to someone who has not asked than to give to someone who has asked. But God is supremely liberal. In other words, if God is so generous, why doesn't he just give us things without our asking for them? And St. Thomas responds, I think, quite beautifully. I think he, almost everything he says is beautiful, so I don't know if I need to add that qualification. God furnishes us with many things from his liberality, even without having been asked. But that he wishes to furnish us with certain things by our asking is useful for us, namely that we might learn confidence in running back to God and that we might recognize him as the author of our goods. Hence, Chrysostom says, Consider how great is the happiness granted to you, how much glory is allotted to you, when by praying you converse familiarly with God, when you mingle speech with Christ, when you choose whatever you wish and ask for what you desire. In other words, God gives us many things out of sheer liberality without our even asking for them. 
but he also makes our receiving certain things conditional on our asking for them, and he does this for our good. It's by prayer that we come to learn where all the good in our lives comes from. It's through prayer we learn to turn to God all the more often with confidence. And it's a great dignity that God invites us into conversation with himself and even allows us to obtain good things from him through prayer. Right? This is God sharing with us the dignity, not only of being secondary causes of things within our own spheres of influence, but secondary causes in the unfolding of all of history. Right? Generally speaking, by making us rational and free agents, God gives us the dignity of being true secondary causes in many things. We can really manufacture cars. We can really give soup to homeless persons. We can even love God by our own acts of love after the infusion of the Holy Spirit into our hearts. But by prayer, God vastly expands the scope of our secondary causality. Of course, it always remains dependent on his uh, principal causality. But by prayer, we can really divert a natural disaster. By prayer, we can really bring an end to a war. By prayer, we can really obtain for another the grace of conversion. So God shares with us this really abundant participation in his causality. So now that we've got some of the basic dynamics of prayer and divine providence down, the big question is, what should we ask for in prayer? If God wants to give us good things through our prayer, how do we know what they are? And I think this question really occupied St. Thomas's mind. And in Article 5 of the question on prayer in the Summa, he asks whether we ought to ask for determinate things from God when we pray. It seems pretty safe to ask God for help or for good things, but should we ask God for specific things? If you're having a barbecue for Columbus Day, should you ask God to provide good weather? If you're a soldier in Iraq, should you pray for your aim to be accurate? If you're about to start a new semester at Notre Dame, I see that some of you are from Notre Dame, should you ask God to help you find some fancy new shoes? If you're looking for a Nintendo Switch during the great Switch shortage of 2020, (laughs) should you have asked God to save the last one in the store for you? Now, if you're a thoughtful person, the answer to these questions may not be immediately clear. Maybe if your barbecue gets rained out, you'll end up having a better time inside. Maybe the guy or the girl you're interested in would like your old shoes better. And maybe someone else needs that Nintendo Switch more than you do, even if that's hard to believe. In the body of the article, St. Thomas quotes Valerius Maximus, who wrote that Socrates was decided that nothing more was to be asked of the gods than that they grant good things, since they in the end know it would be useful for each. We, however, for the most part, have vowed to ask for what would have been better had it not been granted. The late Dominican father, Nicholas de Amicourt, thought that St. Thomas Aquinas sees here with this question the limit of philosophy. Socrates represents the limit to which natural reason can go in understanding how we ought to pray. By natural reason, we we can't know exactly what would be good for us. Right? We can conclude that God is good, and so we should pray for good things, but not much more than that. And so St. Thomas Aquinas is adamant that we need divine revelation to know more about how to pray. And interestingly, divine revelation itself confirms the impotence of our natural reason with respect to prayer. 
In the first objection, in the same article, St. Thomas recalls that St. Paul says in Romans 8, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Especially if you think like St. Thomas, the fact that St. Paul says we don't know what to pray for as we ought, this should be a, a weighty objection. Right? So we should let this sink in. Socrates thinks that we shouldn't pray for specific things because we don't know if they'll be good for us. And St. Paul also says we don't know how, uh, what to pray for. This means that both right natural reason and divine revelation tell us that we don't know how to pray. This, of course, leaves us in a pretty uncomfortable situation. Right? The Bible is full of accounts of people asking for specific things. Hannah prays to conceive a baby boy in 1 Samuel 1. Gideon prays for there to be dew on a fleece in Judges 6. Elijah prays for a child to be raised from the dead in 1 Kings 17 and for fire to come down from heaven in 1 Kings 18. A leper prays to Jesus for cleansing in Matthew 8 and two blind men for sight in Matthew 9. The disciples ask for boldness in speaking in Acts 4. And yet St. Paul says we do not know how to pray as we ought. So how do we resolve this tension? How do we get from not knowing what to pray for to praying for the very things that God wants to give us. St. Thomas's resolution of this problem is one of the key elements of his teaching on prayer. He says, Although man of himself is not able to know what he ought to pray for, the Spirit, however, helps our infirmity in this, because by inspiring us with holy desires, he makes us ask rightly. So I'll read that again. Although man of himself is not able to know what he ought to pray for, the Spirit, however, helps our infirmity in this, because by inspiring us with holy desires, he makes us ask rightly. For St. Thomas, prayer is essentially an act of practical reason. But we don't just reason in a cold and detached and mechanical way. When we reason practically, we're concerned with accomplishing something that we desire. So when we pray, we're asking God for something that we already desire. This is why St. Thomas calls prayer the interpreter of desire. So what St. Thomas is saying here is if we're going to pray rightly, we need to desire rightly. And the bad news is, by nature, we don't know uh, what to pray for. The good news is the Holy Spirit teaches us how to pray rightly by making us desire what he wants to give us. This is why I began the conference uh, with the quotations from the Catechism. Those who seek God by prayer are quickly discouraged because they do not know that prayer comes also from the Holy Spirit and not from themselves alone. And Christian prayer is the action of God and man, springing forth both from the Holy Spirit and ourselves. It's easy to get discouraged in prayer if we think that it's something that we need to direct solely by our own intelligence or wisdom. And so the good news of divine revelation is that God wants to give us good things. And so he inspires us with holy desires so that by asking for what we desire, we will receive what he wants to give us. It's easy to get discouraged in prayer if we think that prayer is something that we need to direct, right? Solely by our own intelligence or wisdom. So the good news that St. Thomas interprets for us from divine revelation, is that God wants to give us good things. 
And because of that, he inspires us with holy desires so that by asking for what we desire, we'll receive what he wants to give us in the first place. So this is a very transformative view of, uh, you know, at the heart of Christian prayer. The St. Thomas sees the human heart having to be transformed by the Holy Spirit for prayer to reach its, you know, culmination, its perfection. This is why prayer is not just something that we're doing for God, right? Above all, prayer is an expression of what God is doing in us. This is also why prayer is so essential for fulfilling the unique plan that God has for each of our lives. By praying for what the Spirit inspires in us, we receive specifically what God wants to give us as individuals. And so in prayer, more than any other activity, we cooperate with God in shaping our own lives in accord with his plan for us. Prayer is how we are drawn into God's directing of our own individual lives. And as cheesy as it sounds, by prayer, we become co-authors with God of our own life stories. So that covers uh, the more theoretical elements for this conference. God involves prayer in his plan of providence by giving us the good things that he's determined to give us through our asking for them. And God moves us to ask for the things that he wants to give us by inspiring us with desires for those very things. Right? This should be encouraging because it means that prayer depends primarily on God's work in us. And our role is free and intelligent cooperation. Right? We don't need to generate prayer from scratch. God is the one who's principally moving us to pray. But if you have an acquired uh, Thomistic anthropology, whether by study or by natural reflection, uh, you might be a little uncomfortable. Does the Holy Spirit just inspire us with holy desires and that's it? Seems a bit arbitrary or voluntaristic. Right? Does the Holy Spirit bypass the human intellect when he inspires us with holy desires? And I would say that the answer is no, which leads us into the first major practical implication of St. Thomas's teaching that I'd like to discuss with you, which is that we need formation for prayer. We need intellectual formation for prayer. St. Thomas has a principle that every act of the will proceeds from some consideration, since the object of the will is a good understood. Every act of the will proceeds from some consideration. Put conversely, you can't love what you don't know. You can't desire what you don't know in some, in some way. And so whenever we have a desire for something, we can always trace it back, at least theoretically, to the perception or knowledge of some good. And for our purposes, that means that whenever the Holy Spirit inspires us with a desire from which to pray, we should be able to trace it, at least theoretically, to the perception of some good. And this means that God teaches us how to pray primarily through illuminating our minds so that we perceive some good or pointing out some good to us. And then secondarily, by inspiring our wills to the desire of that good. In other words, we need to be intellectually formed for prayer so that we can then be directed in our desires for prayer. So the question is, I think, what does this intellectual formation for prayer look like? How does God instruct our minds so that we then desire and ask for what he wants to give us? And the short answer is, above all, by divine revelation. 
God reveals to us the most important goods that he has in store for us, so that knowing about them, we can ask for them, and by asking for them, we can receive them. And within divine revelation as a whole, St. Thomas emphasizes one particularly important means of formation, that is the Lord's Prayer. St. Thomas's examination of the Lord's Prayer is in many ways the heart of his treatise on prayer in the Summa. And St. Thomas says there, in the Lord's Prayer, not only do we ask for everything that we, which we can rightly desire, but also in the order in which they are to be desired. And he goes on in the Summa to explain how each petition of the Lord's Prayer teaches us what we should be desiring. And I won't repeat to you what he has to say about each petition and, and what it means, because you can read that for yourselves. But most importantly, the Lord's Prayer teaches us that we should be primarily desiring and asking for union with God and everything else in relation to that. So what we ask for in prayer should be either the possession of God himself or something that it can at least help us on the way to God or remove some obstacle on the way to God. So what we see in the Lord's Prayer is a kind of outline of the desires of charity. The Lord's Prayer teaches us what to desire in the order we ought to desire it. And this is the ordering of charity. Right? And as such, it's the most perfect prayer. Saints like Ignatius of Loyola and Teresa of Avila commend simply reciting the Lord's Prayer so slowly and meditatively. But we also know from Scripture that we can directly pray for all kinds of things that are not explicitly mentioned in the Lord's Prayer, like in the list that I gave previously. There are innumerable good works that God could call us to perform, countless situations in life that require specific graces or even temporal goods. And so if God is going to inspire us with desires for specific goods, then we should also expect that God will help us to perceive specific goods. This means that our formation, the formation of our minds for prayer can't be limited to the Lord's Prayer, which only gives the general outline of all the goods that we should desire and ask for. Right, so the Lord's Prayer gives the outline, but if, God, if it's okay and we ought to be praying for specific things that aren't explicitly in the Lord's Prayer, then God will also have to bring to our awareness those specific goods that he wants us to pray for. Right, and St. Thomas does not provide an exhaustive list of all the ways that God could possibly move us to perceive some good that he intends to give us through prayer. But I'd like to offer you at least a few prominent means that belong to the common spiritual tradition of the church. The first means by which God informs us for prayer is through spiritual reading, and the second through the events of our daily life. So first of all, spiritual reading. God inspires us first through our considerations and then through our desires. Practically speaking, this means that if we're going to pray well on a regular basis, we can't rely solely on expecting spontaneous inspirations from the Holy Spirit in our hearts nor should we try to generate acts of the will just from scratch. Right? If we want to dispose our will, our affections to be inspired through an enlightened consideration, then we also need to make intentional efforts to provide material for our minds to be enlightened with. And the Catholic spiritual tradition is very clear. The best way to do this is through spiritual reading. Right? Spiritual authors always recommend times for meditation near the beginning of our designated prayer times, right? In our own personal prayer time, we ought to have some sort of input, scripture, right? Or some spiritual book based on divine revelation. 
the life of a saint or religious art uh, to serve as a launching pad for prayer. And this corresponds to the idea that consideration needs to come first before desire can be aroused for a particular good. So uh, correspondingly, in the classical program of Lexio Divina, we have Lexio and Meditatio before Oratio, reading and meditation before prayer. Once our mind is considering divine truths, then our will is moved to, to desire and ask for divine things. Right? St. Teresa of Avila says in her autobiography, in all those 18 years, except for the time after communion, I never dared to begin prayer without a book. And right? I'm not saying we should spend all of our prayer time reading, but in order to respect the ordinary workings of grace, which correspond to our human nature as St. Thomas understands it, we ought to at least regularly begin with some input. Right, some food for mental consideration and allow that to bring about the desires from which we pray. Right, God can certainly raise us to higher degrees of prayer that are not dependent on meditation by infusing a supernatural light of contemplation. And we shouldn't resist that uh, when it comes, but we should always leave it to God to do that kind of thing, right? And we should be, as far as we're concerned, doing what is in our power by reading and meditation. Right, so we should regularly form our minds for prayer through the study of divine revelation and, and holy books. But God also gives us insights and inspirations to serve as the source for our prayer outside of our dedicated times for study and reading and prayer, right? in everyday events of our lives. And so, for example, a woman is wandering through Newfields, uh, which I think is the new name for the Indianapolis Museum of Art, and she, she's going through the Van Gogh exhibit, which I believe is currently there, and is touched by the beauty that she sees. Right? As she's exploring the art on display, she considers the high vocation of the artist. Right? She's then inspired from this consideration to complete a painting that she began years ago but left unfinished. So she then begins praying that God would provide her with the time and materials she needs to finish. Right? And this may be because... God himself wants her to complete this project. Or, right, a young man is at a party. He's speaking with a young woman, and he perceives some extraordinary goodness diffused throughout her whole personality, and he's filled with a desire to be united with her in the sacrament of matrimony, and he begins praying for this. Right, this may be because God himself wants to bring these two together. Or, you're riding on the subway, Right, you see a man looking downcast, which is not a rare occurrence on the subway, or in fact, anywhere. And you're moved with compassion. And in charity, you consider the goods that you wish for this man to enjoy. And so you begin praying for his family, for his work situation, for his health, for his spiritual well-being. Right, this may be because God himself wants to improve this man's lot right, through your prayer for him. Obviously, we could go on forever with examples, but my point is that there are many ways in our everyday lives that God can inspire us with specific desires because there are good things that he wants to give us or others through our prayer. And the Catechism says on this theme, uh, this is paragraphs 2659 to 2660, his spirit is offered us at all times in the events of each day, to make prayer spring up from us. It is in the present moment that we encounter him, 
Oh, that today you would hearken to his voice, harden not your hearts. Prayer in the events of each day and each moment is one of the secrets of the kingdom revealed to little children. I'll read that again. It's paragraphs 2659 to 2660. His spirit is offered, to, is offered us at all times in the events of each day to make prayer spring up from us. It is in the present that we encounter him. Oh, that today you would hearken to his voice, harden not your hearts. Prayer in the events of each day and each moment is one of the secrets of the kingdom revealed to little children. And so if we base ourselves in a generally Thomistic understanding of prayer, we should be regularly providing ourselves with formation in prayer. And that doesn't mean always learning new methods of prayer, but it, it does mean at least providing ourselves with material for consideration. Right? So that, so that by this material, we can be inspired with holy desires. And this material, above all, is divine revelation right? and the Lord's Prayer as, you know, a particular part of divine revelation. But it can include other holy writings and paying attention to the events of everyday life. And this leads me to a very specific practical recommendation for you for this weekend. I know this is an intellectual retreat, but because you invited me, it's also going to be a little bit more like a more traditional retreat. Um, a specific practical recommendation for you for this weekend, spend a few minutes, or longer if you have, and consider what people, places, or things have most inspired you through your life or more recently. Right? Things that have moved you both in your reason and in your affections. Right? It could be a particular scripture verse, a chapter of scripture, visiting a shrine, listening to a particular worship song, the life of a saint, an image on a holy card, a book, a phrase you came across on Facebook, which has happened to me, served as the source for my prayer for a few days. It was a quotation from a saint. Uh, but, you know, God works in the everyday life, right? Some experience in life that made some deep impression on you. Whatever it is, spend some time and pray about it. Think about how you can revisit it or go deeper with it. Right? Make a plan to return to that place where prayer seems to flow easily for you. Or buy a more complete biography of that saint that's been showing up more often in your life lately. Put that holy card that inspired you close to your bed or set it up in your workplace. Spend a week or two praying specifically with the verse or chapter of the Bible that you've, uh, that's always made an impression on you. Journal about that experience that touched you in some way. Right? Often the, the more significant spiritual experiences that God gives us we barely even scratch the surface of what God has been trying to do in those moments. And so journaling is really helpful to kind of unfold all that is kind of wrapped up in that gift of that particular touch from God. So journaling is, is extremely helpful for that. Go deeper with whatever inspirations God has been giving you lately. That's, that's the theme here, right? A priest I used to know, Father Michael Scanlon, used to say about prayer, do what works. This is wise advice, you know, the sim simplicity usually goes with wisdom. If you find some particular source of inspiration, stay with it as long as it feeds you, because this is the way that the Holy Spirit is leading you in prayer. If it's inspiring you, keep letting it inspire you, right? Keep revisiting it until it seems like you've exhausted all that God wants to say to you through that. Right? And if you're ever struggling to find inspiration at all, just ask the Holy Spirit. You know, what are you telling me? 
Or how do you want me to pray? Especially in this last year, uh, it's become more and more clear to me that I really don't know how to pray all the time. I really, really need the Holy Spirit to be guiding my prayer. Like, I really just don't know what I'm doing. And so now, I hardly set about praying at all without invoking the Holy Spirit first. Sometimes very, with, with uh, great desire, a uh, sense of my own need, right? And I'm starting to understand better what St. John Paul II said in Crossing the Threshold of Hope. It's a great quote. He was asked, how does the Pope pray? And he responded, you would have to ask the Holy Spirit. The Pope prays as the Holy Spirit permits him to pray. So again, my advice uh, is this. Consider how the Holy Spirit may be inspiring you so that you can cooperate with that and go deeper with it and ask the Holy Spirit to directly reveal to you what he's been saying or doing in your life, especially if you're having trouble kind of latching on. You know, maybe something already is in your mind, you know, lately that's been, uh, you know, God has been saying, but if, you know, and if so, go with that. But if nothing comes to mind, then just ask the Holy Spirit. He wants to talk to you. So, you know, it's helpful to ask him to make it clear, right? He wants it to be clear. There's a quotation that I've been trying to find for years. Maybe one of you can help me find it. Um, I thought it was from uh, St. Bernard of Clairvaux's commentary on the Song of Songs, but I can't find it. And he says that the Holy Spirit is not bothered when we ask him for help. He's bothered when we don't ask him for help, which, right, makes sense. So, all right, so I think there's another important implication of St. Thomas's teaching, and that is that we should have freedom in prayer. So the first was we need to form ourselves in prayer. The second that I want to talk about is that we should have freedom in prayer. You know, with so many spiritual masters in the Catholic tradition and with so many methods of prayer and written prayers, we can sometimes wonder if we're doing it wrong. Wrongly. Wrong? You might be speaking incorrectly. That's right. <laughs> uh, but St. Thomas takes a lot of this pressure off of us for a number of reasons. Right? First of all, <clears throat> for St. Thomas, prayer is a petition, and offering a petition to God is a virtuous act. There's a tendency among some spiritual authors, which has existed for many centuries, a tendency to treat prayers of petition as if they're ultimately selfish. Right? As if to say, if we were really holy, we wouldn't be asking God for anything. We'd just be spending all of our time praising and thanking God. Right? And certainly there's a place for adoration, for contemplation, for contrition, for thanksgiving. But for St. Thomas, asking God for things is not only a natural move of our practical reason, it's also an act of worship. Right? Because it acknowledges God as the author of all of our goods. And because of this, St. Thomas doesn't forbid praying for anything except for what is sinful. Even asking God for things that he ultimately won't give us, such as when St. Paul asked for the thorn to be removed from his side, is still a virtuous act because it acknowledges God as the giver of all good things. And it's a surrender of our practical reason to him, a surrender of our desires for our lives to his providence. Right? So we shouldn't worry whether or not God will grant exactly what we ask for. We should simply ask for what we desire, right? On the condition, right, that it will be good for our spiritual uh, welfare. Right? We know that God wants what is good for us. 
And we should trust that God will educate our desires as we remain in dialogue with him. So prayer is a petition. It's a virtuous thing to offer petitions to God. So we shouldn't be worried about offending God by praying. But even more importantly, I think, we should simply ask for what we desire, because in many cases, God is the one inspiring our desires. And this is why St. Thomas thinks that confidence is one of the defining characteristics of Christian prayer. If we look at Jesus' teachings about prayer in the Gospels, one of which we had in the daily gospel for Mass yesterday, we find that one of his most repeated emphases is that we should be persistent in asking, even when we don't seem to be receiving what we're asking for. You can't be confident in asking God for things and persistent in your asking and at the same time worried that you're praying for the wrong things. Right? St. Padre Pio says, pray, hope, and don't worry. And I think St. Thomas really has the same mentality. As long as you're asking for something that's not manifestly sinful, ask God for what you desire. Because the Holy Spirit teaches us how to pray by inspiring us with holy desires, this means that prayer is not about making ourselves feel or think a particular way. It's about asking for what we genuinely desire. And that's how we cooperate best with what God is doing in us. Of course, we have to do our part by supplying ourselves with good material for consideration and paying attention to what God seems to be saying to us. But at the same time, we should also be honest in asking for what we desire, because in many cases, our desires are from God. And not only for the things that we know with absolute certainty that God wants to give us, such as eternal life, but also for things that we may not be as sure about. And this brings me to my second concrete recommendation for you for this weekend. And that is to also take some time and identify one or two things that you truly desire. And pray honestly for them. Ask God for exactly what it is that you desire. It does no good for ourselves or our relationship with God if we hide our hearts from God when we pray and pretend to be someone that we're not. You know, this actually came up in conversation when I was checking in, which made me think that the Holy Spirit maybe really wanted to get this message across, uh, that it does no good for ourselves or our relationship with God if we hide our hearts from God when we pray and pretend to be someone that we're not. Like God knows anyway. It's much better to pray simply for what we desire. At one point, St. Thomas quotes Pseudo-Dionysius, who says, When we invoke God by prayers, we present ourselves to him with unveiled mind. And so I hope that all of us will be able this weekend to take a step forward in this uh, virtue of simplicity, or truth, by unveiling our minds before God, right? by praying with greater honesty than we have before. And I'd like to conclude with just a few brief stories uh, that I think illustrate the importance of divine inspirations and consequently the importance of freedom in prayer. So a few years ago, both of my grandmothers were in their 90s. And one of them developed a serious issue with her intestines, and the prognosis was not very good. 
And I prayed the rosary every day for about two weeks for her healing. I don't always do that. I don't always pray for people to be healed of things. But I prayed for her healing. And to all appearances, she was miraculously healed. Right? And she even seemed to receive spiritual healing because she left this whole experience with much greater peace, much greater detachment. And then not too long after this, my other grandmother had an infection and I prayed regularly that the Lord would prepare her to meet him. And that was my prayer for, for many days, that the Lord would prepare her to meet him. And she was in the hospital and as she was being relocated, she was rolled into an elevator and who else got in the elevator but a Catholic priest in the elevator with her who then gave her last rites and then she got to a room and not long after another priest gave her last rites and then not long after she died. Right? I prayed differently for both situations and saw correspondingly different results or outcomes. On the one hand, a kind of Miraculous physical and uh, spiritual healing. And on the other hand, last rites not once but twice. Well, what made me pray differently? You know, it's not because I loved one grandmother more than the other that I wanted one to be healed and the other go to heaven. I mean, I want them both to go to heaven. Right? It seems to me that I have to attribute it above all to different divine inspirations. I didn't worry too much about what I was praying for. God cleared, I mean, even uh, taking away any potential involvement of me in what happened, God clearly wanted to give specific good things to each of my grandparents that were different. Right? To one, he gave healing. To another, he prepared her to meet him. Right? But it appears to me that he shared with me the gift of cooperating with him by praying for those specific things that happened. And so most of the time, the supernatural aspects of our prayer life will remain hidden to us right, until the beatific vision. But St. Thomas gives us a clue about what's happening in prayer that we can't see. And that is that God wants to give us good things and he even moves us to ask for what he wants to give us. Because of that, we should allow ourselves to be formed by his word so that we know what he wants to give us. And then pray with great freedom and trust as his children. And once again, I'll just repeat my practical recommendations. Take some time to consider what's inspired you in the past and more recently. And also take some time to pray honestly for what you desire. So William's asking about uh, divine inspiration and how it works, uh, how it plays out concretely. Because if, if I pray for good weather and then it's not good weather, was that because I wasn't inspired by God or because I was inspired but didn't pray hard enough? Uh, you know, be, because prayer is a mystery, right? There are certain things that it's difficult for us to know with confidence, right, about the workings of grace. But I think St. Thomas has a, a kind of approach to the spiritual life in general that is uh, generally opposed to excessive introspection. And my guess would be that St. Thomas would say, well, just pray for other stuff or just keep praying. Um, and he wouldn't say, worry about whether you were inspired or not. Now, if you pray for good weather and good weather happens, thank God, right? Because you were 
praying in accord with God's will, right? And if it didn't happen, don't worry about it. Just pray for other things. Um, and then trust that God has indeed given you what is good. Uh, the, the problem is, you know, we don't know infallibly whether we've received divine inspiration, even if divine inspiration itself is infallible. And this is just kind of this gap in our ability to know that makes the spiritual life necessarily involved, involve trust, right? Because if we had absolute certainty about all of the workings of grace, right, we wouldn't need trust. But if we pray for something and we receive it, St. Thomas actually divides that he divides prayer into, he says there are four parts of it. And the final part is thanksgiving. Uh, so he actually thinks that a prayer of petition is not complete until you thank God for receiving what he gave you. And this also disposes you to receive uh, more from God. But the short answer is, I don't know. <laughs> Were you inspired? I don't know. But you should still keep praying. You know, it reminds me, uh, this is a crazy story, but um, kind of soon, at, soon after I started praying for, uh, I started kind of undergoing an um, interior conversion and taking my faith more seriously, uh, there, was a, there was like a tropical storm coming towards uh, Florida, and I was like, I'm going to pray that this stops. And for like three days, I prayed that God would stop the tropical storm. And it literally just stopped in the ocean. And they're just like, it's just hanging out in the ocean. And after three days, I was like, there's no way I was like, that was me. And then it goes and hits Florida. And you're like, okay, but like, you know, it was a good thing that I prayed that it not hit Florida. And I assume there was some inspiration. I don't know for sure. Um, I don't know. I just thought that's kind of funny. I forgot that even happened. But it's those types of things where you're like, was that me? Was that what was going on there? I don't know. But yeah, just keep praying that, uh, that natural disasters stop hitting people, right? That's a good thing to pray for. I think we should keep praying for that no matter what we, you know, whether we know for sure we're being inspired by it or not. In the Middle Ages, the, some of the spiritual authors would go through this and they'd try and be, uh, they'd try and categorize your different experience during prayer in order to determine, uh, you know, what's going on, whether God is going to answer your prayer or not. And I think that's a pretty dangerous road to go down. I think St. Thomas really wants us to be Praying and trusting. Yeah, so Patrick is asking the question that I was most afraid of, which is, <laughs> which is forcing me to try and make some statements about divine providence, which is far beyond, they're, they're far beyond my, my pay grade, which is pretty low. Um, uh, what, to what degree do we have agency uh, in the events of history? Uh, if God ordains certain effects, but then invites, he says, by the prayer of the saints, uh, by that order to, to uh, bring about those effects. And I think, you know, on the one hand, we want to have a certain logical distinction where we see cause and effect, uh, but not separate these so much in the mind of God that he's not aware of how contingent things bring about effects, right? Um, so however we look at it, I would, I would want to say, well, the effect wouldn't happen if the person didn't pray for it. If in God's providence, it was by that prayer that the effect would come about. Um, so in a certain sense, we could say there's a kind of logical ordering. If God wills the 
the end and then the means to the end, uh, but it's simpler in God's mind. And I'd say they're more, uh, they're more connected in God's mind, more necessary in God's mind than, you know, um, but the idea that God only, you know, there's a, a kind of saying that goes through the runs through the spiritual tradition that God only does what he has first inspired people to pray for. Uh, you know, you look at even the incarnation. Well, certainly that was, uh, you know, if you could make distinctions foremost in God's mind, right, in terms of kind of the whole plan of history. And yet, why is it that we have the patriarchs, right, and Our Lady praying and desiring the coming of the Messiah, right? It's not that he wouldn't, uh, uh, it's not that the prayer was irrelevant, right? But God, God did both, right? He inspired those to pray, he inspired people to pray, and he also brought about what was desired, what was prayed for. So Dan is asking about, uh, I mentioned uh, religious art as a, a kind of ground or a, a launching pad for prayer, a way that God could uh, uplift our mind and thereby inspire us with uh, desires to pray for. And then how this relates to the liturgy, uh, which is traditionally celebrated in the context of beautiful churches um, and places that are ordained uh, um, ornamented, right. For the sake of uplifting our minds in prayer. Um, so this isn't something I've thought about much, although I can say that St. Thomas sees the liturgy itself. Um, I'll talk about this a little bit on Sunday. Uh, he sees kind of the prayers of the liturgy, especially the, the Eucharistic liturgy as, uh, very much ordering us, uh, uh, uh helping to inspire our devotion towards the Eucharist. Um, and so I think, you know, kind of within a, a liturgical space, you would want something similar, not only the words, but also the art to be moving you towards devotion, towards what is the heart of the liturgy, uh, which is Christ being, you know, made present as sacrifice offered to the Father. Um, you know, there's lots of functions of religious art, uh, holy art. And again, so what we would consider prayer is a broader category too. So, uh, so we would include contemplation within that, right? And so within the artistic tradition, you're aiming not only at kind of moving our, our desires for heaven or for heavenly things, but also moving us to a kind of contemplation that's a beginning foretaste of heaven now. Um, so in some sense, the art can move us to prayer and not even necessarily to petitionary prayer, but to this kind of contemplative prayer, which I think is a goal of a lot of artists, good artists at least. Uh, the question was, you know, especially in the last two years with the pandemic, you know, and then just so much has gone on with political turmoil. And I mean, it's just been a crazy few years. And so we can go into prayer and sometimes just be overwhelmed with the, the amount of questions we have and the, the concerns and the things that we want to pray for. And sometimes it can be kind of a jumbled mess and we don't know what to do. Um, uh, maybe I was inserting too much of my own experience in reflecting your question, um, but I do understand it. Um, and what would my advice for that be? Again, I'm thinking of, uh, well, two things. First of all, is a practical recommendation from all of the spiritual, I mean, kind of all of the spiritual authors is that it's best to pray first thing in the morning because your mind is clear at that time. Uh, and so it's very useful to begin your day by praying 
and by exposing yourself to the word of God and allowing that to direct your prayer. Uh, and, and it's significantly harder to pray and to focus in the evening when we have so much more of the day's kind of mundane uh, things on our mind, right? So that's kind of one practical thing is if you find so many concerns on your mind that it's difficult to pray, try praying earlier in the day before you, ha- you hit the news feed, before you see anything, right? Um, and this can just help in having a clearer mind in general. Uh, in terms of, but of course that doesn't, you know, it's not like you wake up and then you're a blank slate and like the events of the last two years are gone. Um, so, so what do you do about the fact that there's so much to pray for and we don't know how to pray? Uh, I'm remembering from the same priest, Father Michael Scanlon, uh, he, he spoke a lot about intercession and how you pray for other people, right? If you have this great uh, kind of, they, they would call it a burden of prayer for others. If you really have a sense of concern for others and their needs and you want to bring them to God and you want to bring God's intervention to these difficult situations, uh, God can, can sometimes move people, give them a special gift of intercession where he calls them to be praying a lot for the world and for particular situations. And so Father Michael Scanlon would often talk about intercession. And what he said is he would always take <clears throat> whatever situation he wanted to pray for, he'd always ask, God, how do you want me to pray for this situation? And then he would wait until he had some sense or indication of how he should pray. Uh, and I think that's a really useful thing. I've done that many times. You have a difficult situation, you don't know how to pray. So God, how do you want me to pray about the situation? Lord, there are riots going on. How do you want me to pray about this situation? Right? You know, Lord, uh, you know, you get a sense that God wants you to pray to raise up leaders who will bring peace. Right? And that's how you pray. Um, right? So whatever the situation is, you ask God how he wants you to pray about it. And then you go with that once you have some sense of it. And you write it down so you don't forget it. And then you just keep praying for that, for that particular intention. That's, that's kind of the recommendation that I give for that.